All right, today's passage is in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 18. That's on pages 8, 11 in the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll reply, thanks be to God. And we say this because we believe that this is scripture is breathed out by God. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others for their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses." And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. For when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. This is the reading of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I lift up Kyle to you as he preaches. Give him the words to say that we need to hear. Help us not to be hypocrites in the way that we live, and let us live for you in your glory and not for others in our own glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? My name is Kyle. If you're a guest with us, welcome to Living Stones. It's an honor to have you here. Living Stones is a church that is obsessed with Jesus. We're a church that's obsessed with God. Um, If you're new to church or you're new to Christianity, you may wonder why do Christians worship on Sunday? And it's because Jesus was crucified for our sins on Friday so the strife between man and God could be squashed and we could belong to God. And then on Sunday, he resurrected from the grave to give us new life. And so because of that, ever since that day, 2,000 years ago, Christians have been worshiping on Sunday. We've been gathering together to rejoice, to meet with God because we're obsessed with God. That's what Christianity is supposed to be about. What Jesus is doing in this passage, though, is he's confronting how the trap of, of how easy it is to fall into an obsession with ourselves. The word worship comes from an old English phrase, or two words in English, worth and Skype. And when they put together, it's you're ascribing worth to something. And what you're supposed to be doing when you're worshiping is you're ascribing ultimate worth to God. You're saying, God, you are my obsession. And all the activity that you do that is giving God that worth is um, expressing your obsession with him because that's what worship is. Worship is the expression of your obsession. 
What Jesus is doing in this passage is he's confronting the human tendency to do religious things in the name of worship, but to do them in ways that express that we're obsessed with ourselves. And so we're going to look at two expressions that Jesus talks about, prayer and fasting. And then we're going to look at the one obsession that drives both of those. And so um, if you don't have a Bible open, if you didn't have one for the reading, grab one or steal one from your neighbor and open up to page 811 on the Bibles around the room. That's on page, or that's, a, that's Matthew chapter 6. And uh, what I want to draw your attention to is the verse that sets up this whole section. It's verse 1 of chapter 6. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware of doing right things for God, but doing it in the wrong way. Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Jesus goes on to confront three ways that his people do this. One, in giving to the needy. Two, in how they pray. And three, in how they fast. Last week, we talked about giving to the needy. Today, we talk about prayer and fasting. So Jesus says in verse five, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites. He says, these guys are the ones who love to go into the synagogues or the church gatherings and they love to stand up so everybody can see them, and they love to pray publicly so everybody can look at them. They're the ones who love to stand on the street and, and, and pray, and they wear their long robes, and, and they pray so that everybody could notice, wow, that person is really holy. Jesus says, don't be like those hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites because prayer is supposed to be giving your attention to God, but they're doing it in a way in which they want attention on themselves. The word hypocrite in classic Greek, this was written in Greek, has roots in theater. And Jesus is saying, they're just putting on a show. That's all they're doing. This is not real Christianity. This is not real worship. It's a show. It's a mask. It's a masquerade. So don't be like this. Don't be like this when you pray. So what are the ways that, how are some of the ways that we do this, church? How do you hear Jesus speaking to confront you and the heart of your prayers? How might you be seeking praise when you pray in groups? Sometimes we use theatrics. So like my wife, Amanda, she was like, I just read this and I picture them going, oh, Holy Father. <laughs> do you use theatrics in your prayers? You know, when we sing to God in church, those are prayers that we're singing to God. Are you... You know, it's, God says in the Bible, raise your hand to him because he's worthy of praise. But there's a way of raising your hands in which you want everybody to focus on you, in which you're looking for people to say, wow, you're really holy. You're being a hypocrite. Sometimes we pray, we never pray privately, but we always seem to pray publicly. You're being a hypocrite. I remember when I first learned, started learning theology. I would take time on Sunday or every time we had a group and I would put every word I learned that week of theology into my prayers because I wanted to show people I could read. 
I was being a hypocrite because I really wasn't making about talking to God. I was making it about people giving attention to me. This is so easy to do. Sometimes we are preachers in our prayers. If you've ever prayed in groups of people, you know what I'm talking about. There's always the one person who's got something to say. And they really want to preach, but because they're not in the office of eldership yet, they're not preaching, they use their prayer time as time to preach. They preach on for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and you're like, what are we doing here? Are we talking to God or are you giving a sermon? (laughs) Hypocrite. Sometimes you can just be praying a simple prayer with your family, and you want them to notice how holy your prayers sound. Hypocrite. Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. If you're somebody who's a guest with us and you've been pushed off of Christianity because of the hypocrisy, know that Jesus doesn't like it either. You're right. Jesus is calling us into genuine relationship with him. And the reason we do this, the reason why people are standing on the street corners, going into the public places and praying, the reason why that we do this to get other people focused on us is because we're obsessed with other people's approval. We're obsessed with it. And so worship is the expression of your obsession. And so if you're obsessed with other people's approval, you're gonna be doing religious things, but you're gonna be doing it to get people to focus on you. And it's not just in prayer that we do this. We do this in lots of different ways. You carry your, your Bible around to work or you carry your Bible around to school and you just want people to focus on you. You wear the cross around your neck or you, you have the, the sticker on your car because you just want people to focus on you. Jesus is calling us out of this kind of hypocrisy. Instead, what are we supposed to do? Or by the way, here's what Jesus says. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, if you want people to focus on you, They're gonna, and that's all you're gonna get. But you're not gonna get God's attention. When you live a religious life to get people to focus on you, that's it. That's all you get. There's no eternal value in it. It's empty praise. So how are we supposed to pray then? Jesus says, says, um, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So when you pray, go into your room. This also can be translated inner room. Go into the inner room of your house, close the door, where you're not going to be tempted to open your eye to see who's watching. Go into your inner room where nobody will be able to see you, where it's just you and God, because that's what prayer is supposed to be. You and God. Just being with him. Shut the door, shut other people out, and just be with God. That's what Christian prayer is all about. Now, does this mean we never pray publicly? No. Jesus himself prayed publicly, didn't he? And sometimes Jesus, like in John 17, prayed publicly in order to teach his disciples. But Jesus is getting after the heart motives of our prayers. He's saying, if prayer is not about seeking approval from others, prayer is about being with your God in heaven. And one translator or one commentator I read this week said that the inner room was where you would store your treasure. There was no banks. So you would store your money and your treasure in the inner room. And Jesus is saying, make God your treasure. 
When you go into the inner room, there your treasure is with God. That's what prayer really is. You see, Jesus is calling us out of this obsession with others and he's calling us to an obsession with him. An obsession with the intimacy that he offers us. And isn't it cool that almighty God who's holding the galaxies together wants to be intimate with you? He wants intimate, close relationship. He's not a God who is interested in being afar from your life and watching you try to impress people. He is a God who wants closeness and relational connection with you. That is the God of the Bible. He is our Father in heaven, our loving Father in heaven who loves us. So he says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Jesus also says, don't pray like the Gentiles. Now, for a Jewish audience, the Gentiles were the unbelievers. Now, they didn't believe in the the biblical God, but they did believe in a pantheon of other gods. He's probably speaking of, of people who were Greek or some of the other religions in the Mesopotamia area who worshiped many other gods. And this is what he says in verse seven. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So in these other religions, what you would do is, is you would have these other gods. Like let's say the Greek religion, you'd have the god Apollo. And you'd be going and you'd, in order to pray to Apollo, you would, you would have to offer the correct sacrifices in the correct order. And you'd have to say the correct phrases to get his attention. And it treats God if he's like standing up there like a judge of a competition. And he's looking at who's going to impress him best. And then they'll give that person the attention. And so when we pray like this, we're, we're, we're worried about the phrases we're praying because we think we have to push the magic buttons on the vending machine so that God will give us what we want. And that's how it worked in the other religions. If you wanted safe travels, you had to go talk to the God of travel and you had to give him what he wanted and then he would give it to you. And on and on and on. And Jesus says, don't pray like that because your father knows what you need even before you ask him. In other words... Christian prayer ought not to be this thing that we treat like magic. Um, This thing that we are constantly worried about whether or not we're praying good enough. Otherwise, God's not going to answer our prayers. So look at me. You ever worry that God's not going to answer your prayers because you didn't pray good enough? Let's be honest. Yes, we all worry that. I didn't pray good enough. I didn't say the phrase is right. I didn't pray like the pastor prays at church, so probably God's not going to hear my prayer. Sometimes people come to me and say, you're the pastor. God will listen to you. He won't listen to me. Jesus says, no, the father is the father of all who belong to Christ. He wants to listen to your prayers. Sometimes I see, um, you know, later on, Jesus says, whatever you ask the father in my name, you will receive. And Christians interpret this wrong all the time. When Jesus says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he's saying, according to my will, according to my character. So some Christians think that unless they say the name of Jesus like a thousand times in their prayers, that God won't be answering their, their prayers. And that's wrong. You're treating the name of Jesus like a magical incantation. And so what you're doing is you're going around and and sometimes we're like, we just need to say the name of Jesus more. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's like, it's not magic. Talk to your father in heaven 
as if he's your father who loves you. And so the reason why these other religions were going to these gods and doing their rituals and doing their magic uh, formulas to try to get God to answer is because they really weren't obsessed with God. They were obsessed with getting stuff from God. And when you're obsessed with, not with God, but getting stuff from God, your prayers aren't going to be genuine. Your prayers are just going to be this ritual that you're doing because you're trying to get his attention. And Jesus says, I have something better for you. Instead, pray to God like a trusting child. He says, your father in heaven knows what you need even before you ask him. You know, when I go on a vacation with my family, now let's say I take my kids out, um, I prepare lunch long before they ask for lunch because I know they're going to need lunch and I know that they're going to ask for lunch one day. And so I prepare lunch. I know I got it ready so that when they ask, I can give it to them. But even if they don't ask, guess what? I'm still going to feed them. Lunch! (laughs) Because I know what they need because I'm a loving father. And Jesus is inviting us into He's inviting our prayers to be that of a child and a father, okay? What this means is, this might be controversial. God's not really, he doesn't really want you to be a prayer warrior. He wants you to be a child. I got warrior tattooed on my arm right here in Hebrew. It's actually backwards, so, because I didn't know. But um, (laughs) my youthful arrogance, uh, The more I'm like diving into the Bible, the more I know I'm learning that God's not looking for warriors. He's looking for children. Children. The height of Christian maturity is being a child. Being a child. And so think about this, parents, grandparents. If you're in high school, future parents. Hopefully not too soon. Um, when you're a parent, when you're a, a parent, mother, father, and your little child comes and sits on your lap, are you concerned with them giving you the right formula before you listen to what they have to say? No. You're an awful parent if you do. <laughs> but because you're a loving parent, you're, just, you're excited that they can just come into your presence and start their chats, start their talking to you. Um, ever, you ever start praying and fall asleep and then wake up and feel guilty that you fell asleep on God? If you're a parent, a father, mother, and your child is chatting with you and then falls asleep in your lap, do you get angry at your child? No. You're excited that they fell asleep in your presence. God is our loving father. And I would propose that one of the reasons we have prayerlessness is because we don't really believe that he's our loving father. We have a false idea of who God is. God just wants us to talk to him. And this takes all the pressure off. Like we we're in my community group, we were talking about this. And one guy said he was, he's, it takes all the pressure off because sometimes he's driving to work wondering if he's praying right and whether or not God's going to answer his prayers. But when you just read this, you don't have to worry about how you're praying. 
You don't have to worry about if your prayers sound like the pastor's prayers or the, the deacon's prayers. You can just pray and know that God knows your heart and is excited that you're talking to him. That's it. It's a much more freeing way to live. So don't be obsessed with getting stuff from God. Don't be obsessed with getting approval from others. Be obsessed with the fact that God is your father in heaven who loves you and wants to be with you. Then you'll really start praying. So how do you need to hear this? How might you have been showing off? How are you making your prayers simply about getting stuff from God? You know, one way you can tell is after you pray in a public setting, how often do you recount what you said and wonder, man, I wish I would have prayed differently. Come on, I know, I I do this too. I'm with you on this. The reason we do that is because we're obsessed with ourselves. We're not obsessed that we just had time with God. We're thinking too often about ourselves. And so Jesus is calling us out of that, okay? So he does that with prayer. And uh, he leads in and he says, when you pray, verse nine, pray then like this. Let's say this together. It's the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That took 20 seconds. That's it. Jesus says, when you pray, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. (laughs) 20 seconds. He gives us an outline for what prayer should look like. Super simple. He's not looking for us to be a prayer warrior all-star. He's looking for you to be a child. So then he addresses fasting. In verse 18, he picks up our approach to fasting. And he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their Fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When you fast, what is fasting? Fasting is when you take a break for a while from food to humble yourself before God. Um, A lot of Western, a lot in America, we've kind of simplified it. We're like, I'm going to take a break from video games. That's not really fasting, okay? Uh, Fasting is when you take a break from food. That's why when you wake up in the morning, you eat breakfast because you're breaking your fast. So fasting is when you take a break from food and it's very, very, it's an important spiritual discipline. And the Bible shows us there's a handful of reasons for fasting. One of the reasons why is because it reminds ourself of our need for God more than food. When you, um, when you fast, you're remembering that Christianity is not just this spiritual thing and your physical life is something separate. The Christian belief has always been that we're embodied souls, that Christianity is spiritual and physical. Together, you don't get to separate them. And so when you fast, you're reminding yourself that what you need more than food, which is a basic human need, is God. Jesus said when he was fasting and the devil came to tempt him and the devil's like offering him some bread, Jesus said, what did he say to the devil? Man cannot live on bread alone, but must live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What I need more than food is God. Okay, the second reason why God calls his people to fast throughout the scriptures is because it's a way to seek his power and his help 
in extreme circumstances. So we see this in uh, the book of Kings when an army was coming to take over the, the, the city of Jerusalem and the King Jehoshaphat called for the whole city to have a fast that God might intervene to see God's power. Jesus, before he started his ministry, what did he do? He fasted for 40 days to seek God's wisdom and power. And so what this means for Christians is that when you fast, it would be appropriate to fast if you have a big decision coming up or if you have a major crisis at hand or if somebody you love gets sick and you're asking God to intervene. It might be appropriate in those instances to fast and seek God's power and wisdom and authority. The last reason that we see fasting in the scriptures is to express sorrow or grief. Um, we see this in the book of Jonah. When Jonah goes and he preaches to the city of Nineveh, it's, by the way, the worst sermon in the Bible, but God takes it and causes the greatest revival. Jonah goes in and he just pronounces wrath upon the city. No grace, just wrath. But God still works and causes all the people to repent. And the king calls for a citywide fast to repent of their sins. So another reason that it would be appropriate to fast is to express sorrow for your sins. This is what Ash Wednesday, the the season of Lent is about, expressing sorrow for our sins. This might be appropriate if you feel yourself or if you've noticed yourself backsliding into great rebellion or into man-made religion. It might be appropriate to do a fast so that you could humble yourself and come back to God. But bottom line, fasting is about humbling ourselves before God. It's about teaching your soul that you are not God, you are creation in need of God. And so what was happening, Jesus says, don't fast like these gloomy hypocrites. These hypocrites, he's probably speaking of the Pharisees who, would fast, who were like religious professionals. They would fast twice a week and it, while they did it, they would like dishevel their faces and they would wear unkempt clothes and messy hair so that the whole world could recognize that person's fasting. Look at how holy they are. And Jesus is like, they're being hypocrites because the purpose of fasting is humbling yourself before God, but they are exalting themselves before others. It's hypocrisy. So how does Jesus tell us to fast when we do it? He says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. And take a shower, put on some deodorant, maybe some essential oils, get some clean clothes, and don't let the world know. Because it's not about exalting yourself above others, it's about humbling yourself before God. And he says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Or in other words, your father who is hidden, he sees your hidden actions and he will reward you. Now, this phrase reward has caused lots of controversy in many Christian churches. I don't think it needs to. It's a very simple word. We can interpret it just based on the context of what the paragraphs are about. The word reward simply means wages. So when Jesus says God will reward you for your secret prayer, it most likely means he's going to answer your prayers. (laughs) When he says he he will reward you for your fasting, it most likely means he's going to grant you the humility or the power that you're seeking. It's very simple. But he's saying that God will not pay attention when you make it all about you. That's the thing. So for application, point number one, Jesus says when you fast, not if you fast. Christian, 
Do you fast from food? You need to start. You're an embodied soul. America is really lagging behind in in terms of the world's Christianity in this department. And we could learn something from our brothers and sisters in other countries. Your soul learns something when you discipline your body. And I know you hate it. I know it's terrible. But that's the point, is you're humbling yourself before God. So first of all, do you fast? Maybe this would be a good chance to start. Pick a couple times this year and fast. Lent is coming up in February. You can maybe try then to fast from some food. And when you fast, are you seeking to get attention from others? Now, you might not dishevel yourself, but sometimes on fast days, I, you know, I've been in the church long enough, we, just, we do the same thing. Instead of getting ready and getting all you know, pretty to go out to, to life, we, we're just like, whatever, I'm just wearing workout clothes today. I'm grumpy all day. I'm fasting. You're doing the same thing. You're trying to get people to focus on you. Or are you grumpy and excusing your grumpiness because you're fasting? That's doing the same thing. You're getting people to focus on you. Jesus is saying, make that discipline a hidden discipline. Because it's not about what people think of you. It's about you seeking and humbling yourself before God. So that's what he's calling us to. Now, both of these things, prayer and fasting, are driven by an obsession. Worship is the expression of your obsession. Why is it that these people that Jesus is talking about made it all about their their prayers publicly or their fasting publicly? John Stott says, It's because they were obsessed with themselves. It's not that they were just obsessed with approval. It's not that they were just obsessed with getting stuff from God. And it's not just that they were obsessed with exalting themselves over others. They, at the end of the day, were obsessed with themselves. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's calling us out of self-obsession. Isn't that what being a Christian is all about? Jesus even says it in another passage. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He's saying, if you want to be a Christian, here's what being a Christian looks like. Dying every day. Dying to your self-obsession. Pick up your cross. That's not a fun way to die. Pick up your cross and follow me. The secret to living is actually dying. Because you were never made to live for yourself. You are made to live for God. But sin has caused us, as as St. Augustine said, to uh, be curved in on ourselves. He has this theology. It's called incurvatus in se. That's what sin does. It causes us to be curved in on ourselves, to focus on ourselves. And Jesus is calling us out of that life of sin into a life of freedom where we're focused on God. But how do we do that? Nobody who is self-obsessed has ever stopped being obsessed with themselves by being told to stop being obsessed with themselves. (laughs) Right? So how is it possible? I'm confident that the only thing powerful enough to break through our self-obsession is experiencing overwhelming sacrificial love. Let me share with you a brief story. When I was in eighth grade, going into ninth grade, I went on a mission trip to Mexico in Ensenada. Um, We were going down to build homes in this poor little section of the city. 
It was so poor that many of the homes were built out of tires, leftover construction, scraps, tarps, cardboard, whatever they could find. When we played soccer in the streets with the kids, we were trying to keep the ball out of the raw sewage that was flowing down the streets. That's how poor this place was. And the whole time, yeah, I was there worshiping God, but I was also quite self-obsessed. An eighth grader, going to ninth grade. There were some cute girls on the trip. I was trying to impress them. I had my visor on, my K-Swiss shoes. I was trying to look cool, obsessed with myself. And, the, you know, the whole thing. And so, yeah, we go about our worship and, we, and, it, and it strikes you witnessing that kind of poverty. But I was so obsessed with myself. But on the last day, we show up to do work and there was no work to be done because the people that we were serving had pitched in their money, if I can remember correctly, a week's worth of food to throw us a feast. These people who had nothing and we couldn't reject it because we didn't like bean burritos. Like we, you ate that feast because they gave everything to honor us that day. And many of us ate that feast in silence and we went home and wept because we experienced intense sacrificial love. That's the only thing that breaks somebody from self-obsession. It's the only thing. And Jesus knows that. And he knows that he's giving this sermon on the mount. He's on a mountain. He has a crowd of disciples at his feet. And he knows that his disciples will not get it until three years later when he's on another mountain, not sitting on it, but hanging on a cross. For three years, Jesus' closest disciples, what did they argue about the most? Which one of them was the greatest? They didn't get it and they wouldn't get it until they witnessed and experienced extreme sacrificial love. Their friend, their Lord, the God of the universe laying his life down for his friends. Then and only then in the shadow of the cross would that self-obsession be broken. And so Jesus is speaking to all of us at the beginning of Matthew knowing that you really won't get it until you read the crucifixion at the end of Matthew. He's speaking from a mountain on Galilee, knowing that you won't get it until you ascend the hill in Jerusalem and sit at the foot of the cross. You see, then and only then can you be broken free from your need to perform for others and Will you be broken free from your pride? Because nobody can truly sit under the shadow of the cross and be obsessed with themselves. It's impossible. You see, the problem with people who are self-obsessed, which is all of us, by the way, is that they fail to recognize how deeply loved they really are. At the bottom of all self-obsession are deep feelings of inadequacy. Let's be honest. I mean, I even read three psychological articles on this, peer-reviewed articles about how the bottom of self-obsession, of narcissism, is deep feelings of inadequacy. And so somebody who has these feelings thinks that if they can focus on themselves, if they can love themselves, if they can treat themselves, then they'll feel loved. They'll feel adequate. They'll feel 
wanted. But what Jesus is saying is, you don't have to do that because you're already loved. You're already wanted. You're already in Christ accepted by your father in heaven. You don't need to take those deep feelings of inadequacy into religion to try to earn it from other people because you already got God. And so he says to the church, he says to the religious people, stop your vain religion. You are already loved. You're already loved. You don't have to seek it by trying to pray to impress other people. You don't have to try to seek it to try to preach to impress other people or fast to impress other people. You already have all the love given to you in Jesus Christ on the cross. You can't add to that. It's already there. And so every time the church, every time anybody in the church, any one of us, we do this for, it's because we don't really believe we're loved. That's the real reason. And so Jesus is calling us out of this. He's calling us to live our lives in the shadow of the cross. He's calling us to be obsessed with the cross. This is why the apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, I decided to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. Because on Sunday we preach Christ, on Monday we walk away thinking about something else. And so if we find ourselves living into these patterns, it's because we've too often looked away from the shadow of the cross. And so many of you are here and you're Christians and you've been Christians for a long time. And if you're just honest with us for a moment and yourself, you've fallen out of being obsessed with God. You're not obsessed with God anymore. And the reason is, is because you've stopped living in the shadow of the cross. You've looked too much in the mirror and not enough to the cross. And some of you, You're seeking. Or maybe you've been going to church your whole life, but if you're honest, you've never been obsessed with God and that's because you've never truly seen the cross for what it is. It's God treasuring you so much that he would give you his whole life. And if you understand that, then you'll treasure him in return. As the apostle John says in 1 John 4, 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The love of God is made manifest to us in Christ through the cross. That's our obsession. When you believe it, you'll be free to pray in secret. You'll be free to fast in secret. You won't be concerned about anything that anybody thinks because you're just cool with God. Lord, help us. I personally repent the many words I've said up here in front of the pulpit, pointing my finger saying, giving, give glory to God. But really in my heart, I'm saying, give glory to me. We all repent for the many ways that we've prayed, wishing that other people would hear how awesome our prayers are. God, we ask that you would help us to get over ourselves. We ask that you would help us to be obsessed with you. And we know that we can't get there on our own you must melt our hearts at the foot of the cross. And so may living stones be a people who truly lives in the shadow of the cross. And I pray for people here who are seeking you, God, that they would see that you're not a grumpy God, uh, a judge who's just waiting to be impressed. You're a God who seeks intimate relationship with us like a loving father and help them to melt into that truth.
We pray this in your great name.